so we're gonna we're gonna go to the scriptures then, um, and I'm going to uh, I'm going to encourage you if you 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 uh, get a chance um, to download from the website the fact sheet, um, and uh, I'm gonna post the the link in the chat again. Um, To the sermon page on the website, um, I included a fact sheet on uh, the church in uh, of the Thessalonians, and um, <clears throat> I think that it's uh, important that we um, that we uh, we know a little bit about the context of the church that we're going to be looking at. Um, and I thought it was important. It's funny because I could have I could have sworn that I taught on First and Second Thessalonians before, um, but I have not been able to find a series that I did on it, and I did a series a few, um, I did a series a few uh, a few years ago called Under Pressure, which I thought was about Thessalonians, but was actually about the Philippians. Um, and uh, so we're gonna we're going to be looking at the the epistles uh, that Paul wrote to the churches in, the church in uh, Thessaloniki or Thessalonica, um, and we're gonna be looking at it for a few weeks. Um, but we're going to be looking at it a little bit differently. Um, most of the time when people look at these letters, they look at them in series, in sequence. Um, so you read 1 Thessalonians and then you read 2 Thessalonians and you kind of, you do those together. I'm going to do it different. Um, I want to, what I want to do is I want to look at them together, um, in parallel. So just like we, uh, we have a stereo optic vision where we have two eyes and together they make a whole image, um, you, when we look at these letters, we're looking at something that two letters that are written very, very close together. Um, they're only a couple of months apart. Um, and they give us a kind of a, a, a better rounded view of this church. And the Thessalonian church was a church that was under a lot of pressure. There was extreme situations going on. Um, and so I want to share with you uh, some of the context of it, and then we're going to get into the letter. So we're going we're gonna to start um, in the book of Acts. And then we're going to go to uh, the, the passage, uh, the, the, the letters to the Thessalonians. Um, but in Acts chapter 17, the uh, Apostle Paul has traveled to Macedonia, um, which is the northern part of the peninsula of the Greek that Greece is on. It's not Greece. Uh, Macedonia is distinct from Greece. And today um, it corresponds to nations like Yugoslavia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, that, that part of the, um, the world. Um, but it was a Greek-speaking part of the world. It was a part of the world that became famous because of Alexander the Great. He was originally the king of the Macedonians. Um, he conquered the world, then died. Then there was a, a kingdom of the Macedonians that was eventually taken over by the Romans. Um, and uh, the city of Thessalonica um, is on the east of uh, of Macedonia. It's on uh, the coast. It's a harbor. Um, it's uh, on a major highway. Uh, it's named after Alexander the Great's half sister, um, uh, and uh, which is I always thought was funny. Um, the last part of it, Nika or Niki, means victory. It's the root of my wife's name, um, and it was the the victory of uh, Alexander's sister is where the name comes from. Um, but the city is a was a free city, which means that it wasn't under Roman law. Um, it was under its own law. Um, now that's important. Um, there were three kinds of cities. Uh, in the Roman Empire, there were uh, there were colonies which were under the Senate. They were ruled by the Senate. 
Um, and so they were under the, the senatorial law, and you could have the people in colonies could be citizens. In fact, most of them were uh, Roman citizens. Then there were imperial holdings. There were cities that were actually owned by the emperor, um, and uh, they were his personal property, and they were ruled directly by the emperor, usually through uh, a representative. And then there were free cities. Now, the free cities are all Greek cities. Um, they're almost all in Macedonia and Greece. And the idea was that they had their own laws and they enforced their own laws were more important than the Roman laws in their area. Now, Jerusalem is kind of a mix of the two. It's kind of a weird um, place where, and if you read Jesus's um, trials, you'll see the interaction of Roman law, Jewish law, and ethnic law. There's, there's a lot going on um, in terms of the, I just want to say I wouldn't want to be a lawyer in Jerusalem in the first century. So Paul uh, crosses over to Macedonia in Acts chapter 16. He spends some time in the city of Philippi, and then he goes to um, Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, and that's in Acts 17.1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And what happened then is that Paul gets uh, taken out of Thessalonica. Um, he goes to another city, Berea, which is about a four-day walk from Thessalonica. Um, and he preaches there for a while. And then the, the Jews from Thessaloniki come and they, um, they attack him in Berea. So they smuggle him out of there. And Paul gets sent to Athens and ultimately to Corinth, which is the next chapter, next two chapters of Acts. But he leaves behind uh, two of his uh, co-workers, Timothy and Silas. And Silas's uh, Greek name or Latin name is Silvanus. Um, and so he has two names, just like Paul and Saul. He has two names, Silas and Silvanus. He has two names. Um, he leaves Timothy and Silas there in, in the area. And eventually they join Paul in Corinth. Now what happens is Timothy, because he's young, apparently becomes the messenger uh, who carries messages back and forth between Paul and the church in Thessalonica. And apparently when they, when Timothy came to meet Paul in Corinth, he brought a letter um, that was asking some a very specific question, uh, particularly about those um, who had died. Um, and so the indication is that there's a pretty severe persecution going on in Thessalonica. Um, and... Um, one of the interesting things that happens in Thessalonians is Paul doesn't mention the names of any of the leaders of the church. Uh, he does that in all of his other letters, but in Thessalonians he doesn't. It's almost as if the leaders have either been exiled or driven out, and they're, they're not able to be a part 
of the worship anymore. Um, and so this is a church under a lot of pressure. It's a church in transition. It's a church in, uh, in the midst of a little bit of chaos. And Paul is going to write to address them. And when he writes the two letters, he writes them basically in the same format. You can see it in the handout, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it. But, but basically what he does um, in his letters when he's, when he's writing to them um, is that he, he opens with a the fairly typical uh, Paul thing. He does his, um, he does his introduction. He kind of gives a, a, hey, how are you, a salutation, gives thanks. Um, and then he's going to have a time where he's going to uh, encourage them to remember something. Um, and, and then he closes the letter. Now, Paul is infamous for doing this. He closes the letter in the middle of the letter. It's almost like Paul would write a letter and then he just went, oh, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. So he closes the letter, benediction. He says, um, you know, he says, so this is the last thing I want to say, finally, final thing. And then he always says more. That's how we know that uh, Paul was a Baptist preacher because he, um, he always said, this is the last thing I have to say. Oh, one more thing. Um, but Paul, then he gives a series of commands and then he gives a closing prayer. So there's five basic components to both letters. Um, in the first letter, he adds some history. He talks about why, how the church came together, and he answers that specific question in chapter 4 and verse 13 that the, the Thessalonians had asked uh, about those who had died. And we'll get to all of those in a, in a moment. But I want you to, so what I want you to do is I want you to read First and Second Thessalonians. I want you, they're actually usually in most Bibles only a page apart because these are very short letters. Um, but we're going to read the introduction to, uh, to both of them and just talk about it for a little bit. First uh, Thessalonians opens. First and Second Thessalonians open the same way. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Now Second Thessalonians he adds a, a, a little uh, extra thing. He says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he just doubles that that formula there. So there are a couple of interesting things going on. First of all, uh, this is the only letter that Paul writes and addresses to the church of the fill-in-the-blank kind of people. It is the only letter where he writes to an ethnic group, um, uh, to a, a, a group of people who are identified by an ethnonym, a, a name that identifies them. All the other letters he says to the church in Rome, to the churches in Galatia, to the church in Colossae. He names the city. Thessalonians, the two letters of Thessalonians, are the first books that we have that Paul wrote. And it seems like he had not yet kind of settled on how he would address the church as distinct from their ethnic identity, um, distinct from their citizenship. All the other letters, when he writes, he says the church in. So he describes the church as something else that is located in a city. It's distinct from it. But when it comes to the Thessalonians, he says the church of the Thessalonians. He's, he's still, it's still early. And this is about AD 50. This is still very early in Paul's writing ministry. And like I said, these are the first letters. And so he's still, um, he's, he's, um, he's, the truth doesn't change, but the way that Paul frames it um, will change. As he comes under a, a real strong conviction that the church is not composed of, the church is not the church of the Thessalonians or the church of the Jews, but there is no Jew, no Greek, um, there is no free, no, no slave, no male, no female. The church is its own thing. 
So then in 1 Thessalonians, he, he begins with a thanksgiving, um, and both of these have open with this, um, the, the verb, epharisto, uh, the Greek verb, but it's in different forms. In 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our, wor- our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and in full conviction. Now we'll get into the rest of this, um, but notice what he says there. He says in verse 3, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Now if you're looking at the bulletin, you'll see there's a little diagram um, with an arrow, and it has faith, love, and steadfastness um, listed there. Um, and he he describes the work of faith, the labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. Now, one of the challenges when we translate something into English is how do we convey um, how do we convey an idea? So I don't want you to think that this is the work of faith, as in you are working toward faith. That's not what he's saying. It is your faithful work. That's really what it's meant. Um, your faithful work, your loving labor, and your hopeful steadfastness. That's kind of the way that he's trying to say it. Uh, you can hear how awkward that would be. So most translators just do the of thing. Um, but this is this is qualitative. So it is the quality of your work is it is a work of faith. Um, not it is a, a work toward faith or a work... Um, an objective work, faith is the objective of our work, but rather our work is qualified as faithful. Um, He uses those same words in his thanksgiving with uh, in 2 Thessalonians, and I'm going to turn over there. You'll immediately see there are some differences in the way that things are phrased, Um, but he says in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers, as is right, because your faith, so there's faith, is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And so, Paul, again, he gets these three ideas, uh, faith, love, and steadfastness. Now, he uses a different word that's translated steadfastness in 2 Thessalonians, um, but it's the same idea. They're synonyms. And the idea now, so he talked about your faithful work, the work of faith. Well, now he says the work of faith has resulted in faith that is growing abundantly. So as you've been faithful in your work, your faith is growing. It's abounding. And he, the same thing, he says, you know, he says you had... Um, when he talks about love, he says the labor of love. So your loving labor has increased. The love of every one of you for another is increasing. So your 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 work of faith is growing your faith, all right? Um, and in the interval of time between these two letters, he goes from stating you're working in faith, you're a faithful worker, to your faith is increasing. Your faith is growing abundantly. And you are laboring in love, and now your love for one another is increasing. And uh, you had a hopeful steadfastness. Well, that hopeful steadfastness now is being tested by the persecutions, by the uh, afflictions 
that you are called to endure. Now, isn't that a weird, um, a weird way to uh, to deal with this? Ariel says I need to try to turn my microphone down. Let's see if I can do that. How's that? Is that better? Um, isn't a weird way to phrase uh, this as we're looking at this conversation that um, that uh, uh, um, I'm waiting to see whether she tells me. Okay, that's better. Good. All right. Um, when we're when we're looking at this and we're talking about it, right? Um, we have love. Uh, we have faith is in, is growing. Love is increasing. But steadfastness re- is going to deal with persecution. How is that parallel? Um, how is that? How are those three ideas connected? Right? Because you would think, well, if love, if faith, if being faithful is going to help my faith grow, and being loving is going to help my love for others increase, wouldn't steadfastness increase my steadfastness? Well, the thing is that steadfastness, your stability, your reliability, you only know that when it's tested. You only really know whether um, you are reliable when you test the reliability of it. Um, I remember I had a, my, my best friend uh, um, in college and um, his, uh, we had a, a buddy who was kind of a, uh, uh, dabbled in building things. And um, my best friend Joel and his wife Jen, they had this uh, china set that they wanted to have a cabinet on the wall of their kitchen. They lived in a really small um, apartment. And so our buddy um, came over and he hung their cabinet uh, on the wall. It looked really nice. It was, it was um, some of you know where this story is going to go. Um, but they, they hung this cabinet on the wall and it looked nice in the shelves and it was all painted and pretty and everything. And then one night, one night in the middle of the night, uh, Jen and Joel are woken up by this unbelievable smashing sound. And uh, they run out and in the kitchen, the kitchen, this cabinet has fallen and all of the china is broken. Um, because our buddy... Um, did not mount the cabinet to the studs. He just put drywall anchors in and figured that the cabinet would would hold. Um, and of course, it looked great and it looked real stable when there wasn't china in the cabinet. But as soon as this cabinet was loaded with all of their china, it came, you know, eventually started to stress and it broke. The only way we test reliability or steadfastness is under pressure. It has to be stress test. Uh, it has to be um, it has to be pushed to the limit. You never know whether something is going to hold up to its limitations until you test it, until you actually um, are put under pressure. And so often people come into this faith thing um, hoping that they're never going to be tested. Uh, one of the tests of the church is always going to be the church is always going to be tested um, by the pressure that it's put under. Um, it is always going to be tested by how do you deal with, how do you recover, and more importantly, how do you adapt to remain strong. Um, adaptation needs to be an attribute of the church. And unfortunately, um, so often our churches, our faith, our ideas, we get so locked into a right way of doing things that we can't handle, we can't adapt um, we can't deal with it. And in our lives, sometimes we get so locked into this is the right way to do this thing. I'm always going to do this thing this way. And and in some ways, that's a good idea. It's a good idea to have a method and to have a process. 
But when we're confronted with pressure where that process doesn't hold, are we going to change to be able to hold the weight that we need to face? Um, and I'm reminded of another story about steadfastness. Um, and this is, it goes, it's completely different. So we go from talking about cabinets to talking about one of the modern constructive wonders of the world, um, the Eiffel Tower. Have you ever, you ever looked at the Eiffel Tower and tried to figure out how they built that thing? It is an odd looking object. Um, and the reality is that there is no way to build it. It can't be built the way that it looks. Now, some of you may know this story, but um, the Eiffel Tower is held square. The, the legs of the Eiffel Tower are held square by the platform that's on top of them. So until the platform was installed, the legs couldn't stay up. So you have to ask yourself the question, how did Eiffel do that? And what's really funny is he actually, what they did was they built the individual legs in sandboxes. These enormous, basically dug huge holes and filled them with sand and, and, and built these frameworks and built those steel things in a framework, a, a sand, and then built the platform and uh, they basically lowered the legs down underneath the platform, and you can you can look on this and the actual technical side of it. I'm not an engineer, so I'm going to get it wrong, but they actually let sand out of the of the 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 sandboxes to lower the legs down into the square and then anchored them to the platform. It's a really interesting uh, way that they constructed it. The Eiffel Tower is one of the most solid objects in France. Um, but until that moment that it was actually positioned, it, it could have fallen down at any time. Um, and, and again, we don't, we, when we build something that's strong, we have to be, we have to be willing to adapt. We have to be willing to think about how can we build the strongest thing, not how can we build, um, and I hate to put this, but not just how can we build the most faithful thing. I know plenty of churches that are faithful in their preaching of the scriptures, but are dying because they're not willing to adapt um, to the realities of the world that we minister in today. And I know plenty of churches that are loving, that are dying, um, because they're not willing to adapt. Um, and, and steadfastness is about when we face the pressures of this world, how do we bear up? How do we endure? How do we continue to endure? How do we adapt? How do we improve? How do we get better? at what we're doing and how we're living. Um, because the end product of the two letters is a little bit different. Um, later, the rest of 1 Thessalonians 1, the Apostle Paul talks about the ministry of the Thessalonians. So in that case, he talks about how faith and love and steadfastness, that anchored them to be able to minister the gospel to the rest of their region. And that's wonderful and that's amazing. But in uh, 2 Thessalonians, he talks about how that love and that faith and that steadfastness just prepared them for the unbelievable persecution that they were going to endure. And so ministry and persecution, they often go hand in hand. Um, to be an effective minister, to have the faith and love and steadfast to minister, also means that we have to have the faith and love and steadfastness to endure persecution. Um, to face the difficult times, to face the opposition, and to continue to model Christ and continue to live uh, in the way that Christ has called us to. And Paul's got a lot to say about how we live 
in First and Second Thessalonians. But he builds this foundation of this faith and love and steadfastness. That hope, it became the, the underlying strength of their reliability. And then their reliability helped them to endure the difficulty. And, and so I would encourage you, and he's going to talk about this. He will talk about continuing. He continue talk about uh, enduring. He's going to talk about uh, going through difficulty. He's going to talk about dealing with life when so many people are, 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 are passing into eternity while we're left behind and all of those things that are going on. Um, and he's going to continually, especially in First Thessalonians, he will continually say, um, he says it twice, encourage one another with these words. Strength, and what is encouragement if it's not building up the steadfastness of those around us? That our strength becomes others' strength when we encourage them. I mean, isn't that the definition of encouragement? God strengthens us to give strength to others so that they can be strengthened. Um, and, uh, and so as we explore this book, these books, um, I want to encourage you, uh, grab the, grab the study sheet, um, the fact sheet, read through both of these letters. You can do it in a, seriously, you can do it in just a very quick, um, uh, read through. It takes, it takes less than 15 minutes to read through both of these letters. Um, and if you set them side by side, if you use the, the, the parallels that I put in the fact sheet, you can read them side by side. You can kind of, okay, this is this part of this one, this is this part of, of this one, and you can read them together and see the parallels together. Um, and, uh, and so I want to encourage you, uh, as we are praying for faith and hope and steadfastness, understand what they are going to mean for us, um, that, that it's about enduring persecution. It's about going through uh, the difficulties uh, that we're going to face. Uh, as as individuals, as families, and as the church. So let's join in a word of prayer. Father, once again, as we come to you and we come to your word, um, Lord, we ask that you would um, grow our faith. Uh, Lord, that as we work in, work in faith, that you would grow our faith. Um, as we labor um, lovingly, that you would increase our love to one another. Um, and as we um, hope, and you build into us reliability and steadfastness, Lord, that um, as we face trials and persecutions and struggles, whether those are internal or external, uh, Lord, we pray that you would um, renew our steadfastness. Um, we know that you are the rock. Um, we build our house upon you. Uh, Lord, help us to build well, um, to adapt, to grow, to uh, continue to challenge ourselves um, and one another. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.